Hello and welcome to How to Grow a Pod, the podcast about podcasting from the book How to Start and Grow a Successful Podcast by me, Julie Smith. This is where you'll find the almost unedited interviews by the pioneers of podcasting, the hobbyists and the pros who feature in the book. This week, award-winning sound designer Hannah Walker-Brown talks immersive storytelling, the political power of podcasting and where she thinks the industry is heading. But first, we bonded over our shared first love, the Zoom H4N microphone. Um, I guess, I think because it's what I learned to use first and I like the simplicity of it and I just got to know it as a bit of kit. Like I'm not a particularly you know, technological person. Like I have a Mac and an iPhone and all of that, but I just like things to be simple. And I just thought, well, if it's not broke, do you know what I mean? And it is broken. It's really broken, but I'm still, still going. And I think I have an attachment to it because I've made every single doc and podcast I've ever done on this. I'm so, so glad you say that because that's exactly my story. I started on H4N. Yeah. I mean, I had, I made my first two podcasts, I think on a, on a, you know, iPhone broadcaster uh, mic mm-hmm. um which was also mm-hmm. zoom but but since then i've always used this one but you are known for making really immersive amazing award-winning audio do you do that all on an h4n <laughs> yeah i do well i don't make music with it um but yeah everything everything is recorded with the zoom i remember being at um the pre-europa one year i had a piece in there and at the end, I don't know if you, you, you know pre-Europa, it's the big like um, European competition. And at the end, people give comments about your work. And someone said they didn't believe it was on a Zoom because the recording was too crisp. I was like, well, it was. Like, what do I do? Um, I was like, you just have to know how to handle it. And I don't use the handle ever because I just find it so restrictive. So it just sort of becomes an extra limb that you can move around with. Well, I also feel that it's an extra limb, but I couldn't imagine not using the handle because mm. if you hold it, doesn't it, don't you pick up the sound of whatever, the rest of your limb, I suppose? No, I, well, I give myself cramp a lot, I think. You just have to learn to manoeuvre it. And I don't know how, it's almost like I'm doing this dance with it in my hand, which sounds really wanky and ridiculous, but that's just how I've learned to use it. And I think each to their own really um and I also feel like with the handle it's a bit like you're holding a gun at someone or it it feels quite intense already and there's already that silly fluffy thing on the end so that coupled with the handle I just find a bit much so yeah I've just found a way to sort of move with it I suppose yeah no that's really interesting and I think that you know I do I'm doing quite a lot on microphone technique and who's holding Mm. the you know where you're holding the microphone and who's holding it and when and if you're just putting it down and just letting it happen as a free-for-all or whether you're directing it or whether you're withholding Mm -hmm. it you know it's a very powerful tool really and and you manipulate that really for your art don't you I mean, I don't like the word manipulate. I knew you'd say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You utilise it for your art. Yeah, I utilise it. And I guess, you know, there is a, I always say get to know it because you need to know, you know, when to bring the mic closer, when to pull it down, when to move it further away, all those sorts of things, which, you know, they're cues you're getting off a person in an interview, essentially, and body language, emotional cues and and again, how you would if you were comforting someone, you know, maybe you move a little bit closer or if, you know, it's 
you sense someone needs space, then I'll always pull the mic away. So I think it's intuitive rather than manipulative. But at the same time, you still know what to get when. So I te- capturing the truth, yeah. I think. No, it's interesting. And you probably use your body. Well, I've I've seen you speak at a at a conference or a, a panel mm. discussion and you you're you're very artistic the way that you move your body and I wonder if that microphone when you say it's part of your body it's part of that it's like an extra limb whether you're moving your body as like a dance I mean you know what I've never thought about that but my background was dance I also teach yoga so I think again I'm gonna come sound like a real twat on this podcast I'm just like yes it's part of me but no I think it is maybe but you know I get a lot from being in my body embodied movement and I think again coming back to this thing of like it's quite a technical thing like you, you know recording and then you're sitting at a computer and that's a very kind of still stationary thing when you're editing whereas my urge is always to move so maybe it has just sort of kind of woven in that and that's how I find it very easy to to move it around, I suppose, and and have it as that extension of me, which means it doesn't get in the way when I'm doing an interview. And I think as soon as you forget about the microphone, or the sooner the whoever you're interviewing forgets about the microphone, like the quicker and the deeper you can go into someone's story. Absolutely. And and deep it is that you go. I mean, I did want to talk to you mainly about anthems and we'll, we'll mm. get to that. And I want to talk to you yeah, about sure. diversity and podcasting and I want to talk to you about the future of, of podcasting. But let's just stay with the the kind of audio that you are known for yourself rather than broccoli. Yeah. And that is an, about immersive sound. It's about compelling storytelling. Is it all mm-hmm. done in the edit and in your head? It's when you go into the storytelling, the music, mm-hmm. the sound, the, the it's all in the edit. It's created in the edit. It's deliberately designed to take you under and in and compel and keep you there and pull you even further down. Uh, tell us a little bit about your process. Yeah, I think, yes, absolutely, that stuff does happen in the edit, but I think it does happen within the interview as well. And and I think I've spoken quite a lot about this idea of purely listening um, and listening not to respond, but listening to actually listen and, and holding space for someone else into which, you know, they can be vulnerable, they can say all these things. And I think as soon as that kind of exchange is acknowledged that, you know, I'm just here to listen and you're here to tell and that's it. And whatever happens beyond that, you know, it happens later. But right now it's me and you and we're just going to do this. And I think as soon as you offer that and you offer it fully and authentically, so, you know, you're not checking your phone or you're not looking at questions on a piece of paper, which I never take paper in ever. I, You know, if at the end of the interview I go and check, I'll go and check somewhere else. But I just that's something I never do because I think you know the moment you hold up a piece of paper it creates a physical barrier between you and the person you're what you're trying to do is create this kind of intimacy like this very accelerated intimacy between you and them so I think once that's established it's very easy to go very deep into a story so that when it does come to the edit those moments already exist and I'm not creating moments I'm not creating feelings that aren't already there but I'm elevating the story I'm elevating the emotion from the person and and working with that and again like I bang on about authenticity all the time because and this manipulation that you know we 
people sort of don't like but then is that what's happening like we're not really sure but again it's not creating a false feeling or a a false sense of anything it's drawing out what already exists and being authentic to to the person to the truth of the story and and actually more importantly the truth of how they made me feel in that moment a lot of my I don't feature really in my work ever, although I think I would argue that I sort of bleed through every single decision because however you feel listening to it is how I felt in that moment. And that's something I'm, I I try and bring in to every single thing I do. Let's apply that to Anthem. So again, you don't mm. appear in that work. You found amazing people who tell mm-hmm. through just one word um mm-hmm. every day uh, for 30 days is it until pride yeah is it yeah. uh yeah so we did pride for the first series women's month for march and home for people stuck in isolation it's just one word that encourages people to sort of to write an essay effectively mm-hmm. and to tell to take us into their world and it's very powerful first of all um Tell us a little bit about the overview of Anthems. What What's it for? What's, what was your intention there? I, well, initially it was for International Women's Month and the frustration really, I think is probably the most truthful account of it, was sort of seeing a lot of very big companies who would maybe release one podcast with a woman in International Women's Month on the 8th of March every year and then didn't feel like they needed any other women to be podcast hosts or um, be panel guests or whatever. So I was like, well, I don't think this is good enough. And I'd made a show with Audible called To The Woman, um, trying to kind of bring this in um, and then left Audible. And I was like, well, I have to do something better than that. That was 20 women voices. How do I expand on this? Because there are so many women voices. And I've been in meetings where with other women, powerful women who have said that they can't for the life of them think of a good female presenter and I've just sort of been flabbergasted like well you know (laughs) and you wonder why we aren't progressing um so it was that more than anything and also this idea that there were very kind of almost just two ideals of feminist were, were sort of emerging so like the old school feminist but then the kind of middle class, very young, mostly white, affluent, probably, um, you know, either successful parents or those that didn't have to work. And I was like, this doesn't, this excludes so many people. And I think for me, it was like, why is feminism becoming just this, this horrible word that people are scared of or they don't use? And, you know, I'd had conversations with friends who have all the kind of morals and traits and ethos of being feminist but they won't say it because they're like but I'm not like her or I'm not like her so I was like well what we need to do here is is explore what it means to be a woman in all its kind of facets flaws and do something quite ambitious and I just joined Broccoli and I was like what can I do that's really ambitious I was like let's release a show every single day I'll sound design every single one we'll get 31 women and we'll each write get them to write these pieces of kind of you know what it means to be a woman and I think my reason for calling it anthems was that we needed new ones we needed new kind of rallying cries we needed new words that we could sing out to each other in I mean not the most literal sense but we needed new manifestos I felt like 
that we weren't being served as women. My goddaughter wasn't being served as a very young woman. Like my mother wasn't being served. So I just felt there was a real gap there. There was also more so this just kind of obscene <laughs> disparity in diversity like we weren't seeing not only we were not seeing women but we weren't seeing black women women of color and it was like well broccoli is founded by a black woman to give <laughs> not give a voice but amplify the voices that have been kind of sidelined by mainstream media and it just felt like a real statement to be like let's gather together these exceptional women from all walks of life from all ethnicities, all classes, all careers, and let's see what they've got. And actually what emerged was there's so much that, you know, binds us together than sets us apart. And I think it was so powerful. It was so it was short, which people really into after kind of, you know, a 10-episode true crime drama every day. Um, and, yeah, the start of the year. So I had the idea on January 2nd, so it was a very quick turnaround, and we decided we were going to do women, we were going to do Pride and uh, Black History Month, which comes out in September. And then we added Home as an additional series because we saw how much the listeners were engaging with it. And when lockdown hit, we were like, well, what can we do for those who have lost all their work and all their money that might want to do something creative? And it was like, let's commission another series. So, you know, the ethos of Anthems is kind of the same throughout. You know, it's both a call to arms, but a celebration equally, like party and protest, which is why Pride was such a great fit, because that's, you know, how Pride was born. Um, and again, we decided on Black History before Black Lives Matter, before kind of this revolution. So again, it, it wasn't sort of a bandwagon. It's the core of our company and the core of Broccoli and the core of who Renee is. So Again, it, it feels more powerful now, but it was always there. Yeah. So the whole point of broccoli is content that's good for you. Um, mm -hmm. What? Who's deciding what's good for us is, is you know, a moot point. I mean, I'm with you all the way, but um, it's very much mm -hmm. a, an agenda. What does that add to podcasting in particular? Well, for a start... Um, black voices, minority voices in front of and behind the microphone and also at exec levels, at CEO levels, at founder levels, which you would be very hard pressed to find in the biggest kind of audio platforms in this country and, and in America, to be honest, all over the world probably. And I think, you know, what we're doing at Broccoli is it, it, that is entrenched in every decision we make it's not just about having a black person in front of a show it's about how are we making decisions that serve everyone how are we being fair to everyone and that you know with the equality pact is like paying interns paying every single contributor that comes on a broccoli show everybody gets paid so no one's doing anything for free nothing is like a favor um Yes, that, I mean, I suppose that's what I was really asking. Um, you know, podcasting is, it's its a big division between the huge podcasts where people are earning a huge amount of money and getting millions of downloads mm. and the bedroom hobbyists. And there's very little in between, mm -hmm. although that is beginning to emerge. And that's where I want to kind of take you into, you know, with the future of podcasting. Is this idea, is this kind of intention 
to create a new raft of um audio producers, audio presenters, people who have something to say through the medium of podcasting in order to stay in podcasting. Because as far as I can see, there's not really a huge amount of money knocking around in in podcasting. Or are you training them up for a new kind of generation, an evolution in um, a revolution even in radio where the money is? I think it's definitely a revolution. I don't think it's where the money is. And I, I, I don't agree because there's a crazy amount of money going into podcasting now like Spotify doing 1.5 million pound deals like this morning Sirius just bought Stitcher for 365 million so yeah but that's only for a certain kind of person I know there's massive amount of of money knocking around but but not necessarily for the diversity market I wouldn't have thought it's certainly not for the hobbyist market it's not for the niche podcasting podcasting is divided into the big ones and the little ones so the little hobbies yeah, and I think that needs to change because I think, and and I think it will change. And I think there are exceptionally talented people from all over podcasting, not just production and presenting. Because you know, remember this is marketing, it's strategy. There's kind of so many jobs that go into the creation of a great podcast. You know, the ones with a hundred million downloads, they've had an elite team behind it. You know, like Serial didn't just pop out of nowhere. It was years and years of work, of graft, of journalists, of you know, uh, presenting of scripting, like the team is exceptional. So yes, you know, there's still people in their bedroom making podcasts, which can still, you know, absolutely smash it. There's no kind of rhyme or reason really, but I think that gap will close. Yeah, but also they may not want to. And I suppose that's what I mean. What's your intention here? I mean, I, I want to believe you know, vehemently want to believe that what you're talking about is a is a near future where people of all colour, class, sex, gender, age, um, you know, can have have whatever they want. So the bedroom hobbyists who really just want to talk about bird watching with their bird watcher pals, and mm. they really don't want to be my dad wrote a porno. They don't want to do stage shows. They want to do their day job, and they want to just keep doing what they love. Um, can can mm-hmm. you know can do what they do, but that there is a middle ground that grows. So it's it's like the old fashioned sort of belief in celebrity as gods, you know, that it's just so unattainable. And that's what I worry about podcasting, that with all this money sloshing around, it feels like, oh, we could mm. win the lottery. We could be the next big ones. And there, there's a middle ground that needs to be. It's, it's, it's like the kind of the... I suppose the BBC kind of nest of of producers and researchers and presenters, you know, they're not paid a huge amount of money, but there's a a sustainable industry there. I wonder if that could be possible in podcasting. What do you think? I think that is, that's happening already. I think that is completely possible. Like people earn money from podcasting. I think that exists. And I think also there's this real tendency to kind of always compare podcast to radio and I think they're their own entity and I think the way it's moving like you know in the UK is yet to catch up but in America you know this industry is absolutely booming there's more money in podcasting than there is in TV a lot of the time like podcasts are being turned into TV now they're doing it the other way around they're like oh what can we make into a podcast so you know, I think like with anything, and actually, especially after a lockdown situation where audio has just 
been thriving because it's the only thing people can do safely, securely and professionally. So I think that middle ground exists. I think it's kind of a dangerous discourse to bring in especially with people wanting to get into it or how podcasts are sold is like this is a thing that's going to make you loads of money and you know you can be as big as Joe Rogan or John Ronson or all these white men that are getting these insane deals um but you can why can't you you know look at the receipts girls they're doing absolutely incredibly they have the most insane following and they didn't even know each other before they started this. It's just testament to great content and what people need. And I think that's what companies are starting to realize is what do people need? What's missing? And let's do that rather than, oh, here's the thing that works. Let's just copy it until we find our own version, like true crime. Like what's our serial? The amount of times people have said that in meetings and it's like, actually, no, what are we not doing? And who's going to be the first to do it? And I think that's where we're going to get to. Thanks for listening. You can buy the book, How to Start and Grow a Podcast by me, Jilly Smith, featuring all the interviewees in this podcast at any bookshop or go to jillysmith.com and click on the bookshop tab. And join me next week when I talk to Josh Adley from Listen, one of the UK's biggest professional podcasting companies to talk about next level podcasting. 